welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, we've got Mr. Tony Pounder. I feel a body in two different places. I'm still playing for both teams. Tom White. Professor Adam Davis. Kevin Cheatham from our away team. And I'll be trying to keep them all under control. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Our guests tonight are Mr. Tom White. Good evening, Tom. Evening, all evening, listeners. Uh, Gavin Cheatham's here. Say hello, Gavin. Uh, evening. Gavin. Oh, he is there. That's all right. Uh, Tony Panda's here. Evening, Tone. Good evening, all. And Professor Adam Davis is here. Good evening, Adam. Good evening, everyone. Tony, did you go to the game on Saturday? I did, sir. And your thoughts on it? What was it? Uh, what was it like? Because it sounded pretty dour on the radio. Uh, it, to be fair, it wasn't the best. Obviously, the conditions weren't brilliant, were they? The rain we had, the uh, pitch buried up well. To be fair, um, they started off quite well, haven't? Uh, passing around the first five ten minutes looked quite lively. Um, yeah, we got back into a passing game, so. Took a bit of control then, um, and they were the better team. Uh, good goal, very good goal actually. Um, it's a good move, uh, good finish as well. One eleven, they still seem to be in control. Um, it was a strong wind um, with the over in the first half, so that did help a little bit. And certainly second half, haven't come out and had a bit of a go, but never sort of really caused a threat. I think the over always comfortable, but um, to say they're what are they second or third from bottom. Yeah, I think they are. Um, second, third, they sort of, you know, we're not, I don't think we're killing teams off where those sort of teams we should be, you know, killing them off two or three at half time, I think, with a strong wind. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't pretty thing, but at the end of the day, they got the result and they remained at 10 or 13 points clear. Do you, do you think it would be fair to say that they're, they're in a little bit of a, a dip of form at the moment? Uh, the couple of games I've seen at home and that, um, I've obviously seen some reports on the way games. Um, I don't think they're playing brilliant football, but um, they're getting the results, which um, how many times we've seen in the past with Arsenal and Man United when they win the league. You know, they haven't played brilliant, but they've ground out one nils and gone on to win things. So there was going to come a dip when they started off uh, good. Uh, like I said, they went on that, was it 13 games unbeaten run? Yeah, and of course and they can so, they can go um, thirteen points ahead if they win tomorrow. To win a game, I think the thing is as well you got to bear in mind a lot of teams are coming to Yeovil, playing in front of three and a half, four thousand fans. Like the pitch looks superb Saturday. Um, it's like a cup final for them, isn't it? So they're always going to raise their games when they're playing. I don't know what what to have a little more of a little get three four hundred at home normally. Yeah. So 
all teams, like you're going to get, it. I think it's Western Supermare tomorrow. They're going to come down. It's a cup final for them, isn't it? Yeah, quite. And so. um, that's that's what you're finding out at the moment. I think with Yeovil, uh, but like, that's a, it's a big lead to me. Like, say if they go on tomorrow and win 13 points, I can't see them losing um, five or six games on the trot. And the other teams have still got to win them. Yeah, quite. Uh, yeah. My only concern, I did see a little thing. Something I think put it on Twitter about the state of Taunton's pitch, obviously because they've got Toro playing there as well. And they've got to play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Yeah. But the biggest worry is, like, if Taunton don't complete their fixtures in the season, um, I know they're in financial ruin at the moment. If they pulled out, so I've seen on Twitter that a Yobo fan said that Yobo would lose six points, where Worthing would only lose one. Mm. So that could be a little bit of concern if it ever comes to that, because all of a sudden you could be down to six to seven points. Yeah, quite. Uh, with a blink of an eye. So it'd be very interesting because I can't, I can't see. I've seen the picture of Taunton's pitch on Twitter, and I can't see how they're going to play two games a week on that. I thought they the were sharing the or something with um, with Truro. Oh, it's obviously at Taunton. That's what it? I'm That's saying. Me, yeah, sorry, it's me being. That's at Taunton, isn't it? So they got at the moment the way they fix it. They've got to play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday on that pitch. Yeah, yeah. Um, with possibly at the yeah, moment, we'll have to open be, the nose. Well. You know, is that going to be a thing where Yeovil might consider it? Because if the possibility, you know, they're not going to fulfil their fixtures and they're in financial trouble, the last thing Yeovil want is for Taunton to go out of the league and lose those six points. Yeah. yeah. So it possibly could be a thing where, you know, they might have to look at. Adam, it's quite you interesting to read, s- like I say. Adam, you had something to say on, on the socials, didn't you, about that? In what in what respect? Sorry, I think somebody suggested uh, sharing our pitch with Taunton, and you said, uh, you know, you came on and said uh, that would be stupid. Uh, you know, no, not not necessarily stupid. It, it is an interesting one because Taunton Taunton aren't actually that many games behind, which I think is quite strange given the amount that they've had um, had they've had postponed. So it'll be interesting to see how that one develops. Truro moving across seems a little bit unusual. Um, I can understand it from Taunton's point of view because inevitably Truro will be renting the pitch off Taunton and given all the other financial concerns that Taunton are currently under, the idea of some additional revenues is useful but is slightly limited, of course, when I don't actually think Truro have been able to play a game on the field quite yet just because of the the waterlogged pitch that's been suffered from arguably since November. So it's going to be an interesting one. I think they'll both fulfil their fixtures. I don't think that'll be too much of an issue, um, but they'll be certainly cutting it fine. Well, it's, it's not exactly the sort of sword you want hanging over you at Yeovil, is it? No, not 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 at all. I think, but that'll be a problem that all clubs will be facing. I think the real the real loss here is making sure that we don't lose Taunton completely. Okay, yes, from a selfish Yeovil perspective, it would be useful from a points, but. The keeping the club together is absolutely essential. There aren't that many clubs in the area, and the keeping of someone like Taunton is important for the game. Yeah, yeah. T- uh, Tom, I mean, I know you haven't been to see him lately, but uh, I expect you're keeping up with it on YouTube. What do you make of it at the moment? Yeah, to be fair, I've listened to Tony speak then as well. I think, um, you know, when you look, I'll be honest, I, I was looking at the game Saturday, looking at it from, you know, stats point of view, thinking looks like maybe a 3 0 or something like that. Um, but I think if I'm honest, uh, I don't want to be negative because obviously they're top of the league and obviously things are going well, but I suppose when you're playing teams like that, if, 
looking, and I know we shouldn't do this, but you do, and I do, um, looking into next season, almost keeping half an eye on to that, you're thinking, I'd like to see us beating teams like that by more than one at home mm. um, for for the sake of doing any good next season. Um, so I don't know whether it's, you know, whether the, they they really excelled themselves or, or Yeovil didn't struggle a little bit. But yeah, for me, it's, like I said, just looking forward to next season. If you want to keep the push going as such, and I, I just mean having a good season, I don't necessarily mean challenging and things, but if you want to be, you know, performing well, I think we should be beating teams like that who are struggling near the foot of the table at home with good support, more than 1-0, I suppose. But um, I'm sure they've got ideas and plans depending on who they see as um, they need to keep and who would be uh, replaceable, I suppose. Gavin, are you there now? Yes, I am, yeah. Ah, great. So uh, we're talking Yeovil, have at Auto Louisville. What did you make of the game? I thought um, the start of the game, in the first five, ten minutes, they haven't come out of the traps and we were like, their wing backs were pushing on, their full backs and that we were sort of struggling to contain us. But we gradually, once we got used to what they were trying to do with the formation, um, we sort of like grew into the game uh, without really testing their keeper. And then the first one bit of quality in the first half was our goal. The, um, the short corner routine that they said uh, afterwards, Chris Todd, the assistant of, to Mark Cooper, had been working on it for the last couple of months. And apparently it's the first time they've tried it in a match situation. And uh, it was real good one-two between um, Sam Pearson and uh, Sonny. And then they dragged the ball back and one were just charging into six-yard box and sort of slid in and took everything and ended up in that goal really well worked. And then we sort of grew in confidence after that. And I thought our best spells of the game were the remainder of the first half and the first 10 minutes of the second half. But then as the conditions got worse, I felt we were, you know, conceding some silly free kicks and there was a lot of corners and we had to defend resolutely. But um, I thought all in all, we kept having, Joe Day didn't have an awful lot to do. And we did have, I just caught the end of Tom's um, summary there. We did have three three breakaways in the second half where none of them were taken by different players. One from Frank, one from um, Sam Pearson when he ran from the halfway line and a third one from Jordan Stevens not long after he came on the sub and none of them were taken. Frank blazed over and the other two hit the goalkeeper. And, you know, if only one of those three would have gone in, then it would have been... Uh, a lot more comfortable, like in any game when it's only one nil. It's um, it's uh, never um, never comfortable. You go to most of the games, and I'm not suggesting for one minute that Yeovil's form is is terrible, but it, it it's it appears to me as though it has dropped off just a tad. What would you agree with that? I I think if we're like our, our nearest challenges, although it is still a big gap, ten points to Worthing. I mean, you look at their results and they're scoring three, four, five, sixes. And I think, without looking at our results, I think we, we scored four last week, didn't we, at Tunbridge and conceded two. And then we had, we've had we had a couple of fours at home, 4-1 four, Boxing Day against Taunton and 4-2 against Farnborough. But like Tom said, we haven't really blown any teams away. We haven't had any fives or sixes. And I suppose when you are missing two of your main strikers in Reese Murphy and um, Jake Hyde, Maybe the goals are going to dry up a little bit. But, um, yeah, I suppose it, it could be a little concern, you know, because we are because we haven't got an awful... Even the uh, young striker we brought in from Bristol City got injured last week. Ollie Thomas playing in the under-23 games like they 
lone players still do who still play for their parent clubs in the um in the development games in the week. So um we're a bit short up top at the moment. We've got a lot of like wide players, you know, like um Jordan Young, etc. But um yeah, maybe it will be a little concern if the goals do start drying up. But we're still like all good teams, we still went our best Saturday, but we ground out a result, another clean sheet, and uh, I think that's only one defeat in about the last fifteen. So we are still in decent form if the score lines aren't as one sided as you would expect for a full time team at the top of the league. Yeah, quite. But I mean, um, Mark Cooper doesn't seem particularly bothered at his uh, post match comments. Uh, and certainly, you know, his press conferences, he seems reasonably happy with things. Uh, do, should we take some comfort from that, Tom? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's in the best position to to see. Any, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's all about getting promoted. That's as simple as that, isn't it? And then mm. obviously take stock from there, um, you know, what they feel they need. I'm sure um, he'll chat with Mr. Hellier and they'll decide how far or what they can do next season, what their budget is, and how, how much they're going to go for it. And obviously, any sponsorships or, or anything that can come in from local businesses or, or anything better than that would obviously be fantastic. Uh, but like I said, it, let's get promoted first and then you know tackle that then. Adam, um, from a financial point of view, what sort of increase would you expect the budget to have to increase by if we go into the National League? Oh, it's it's a classic case of how big's how long's a piece of string is is really a better description of it. Um, the benefit we have in the National League and the National League North and South is there isn't actually an official spend limit like we see in the EFL and the Premier League that you know the likes of Everton and Nottingham Forest are currently being batted with. That's why you've seen you know huge levels of spending from the likes of Wrexham and Notts County and Chesterfield in recent years. Um, but I would. I would probably suggest a, an uplift of around 20% on what we're currently spending would probably put you in a very competitive level uh, for the National League. We, we find that National League budgets are very similar to League Two budgets, only with less income coming in. Uh, that being said, we'll still see a massive increase in revenue available to Yeovil if it go, when they go up. Um, we expect attendances to increase a small amount, often around 10 to 20%. Because we've been getting such great crowds down in the National League South, the, the increase is probably not going to be quite as large as that, but still very, very impressive. Um, it'll be a really interesting one to see, but it's hard to put an exact number on it because we very rarely get um, official numbers down this uh, this far down in the pyramid. But, of course, the, the, the demand from the supporters, if we go up, is, come on, guys, let's go up again. So there's going to be a bit of pressure on Mr Hellier to to uh, you know, come up with the funds, I suppose. Well, it, it's an issue that, of course, is is suffered by every single club all of the time. That you know, the whole conversation we've had at the moment, and of course, I wasn't at the game, but it's a question. We're talking about Yeovil Town being a club where we've gone. We would have liked to have won by more. You know, it's not that long ago where we were pleased to see Yeovil win at all, or even grab a, grab a draw. Yeah. So, so we, we've come an awful long way in that period of time, and that's testament to an awful lot of people. Um, which which is absolutely fantastic. The benefit we might see for next year is if Yeovil go up, I would say it's probably going to be one of the most 
it's probably going to be the most ripe for the taking National League that we've seen in quite a while. Um, at the moment, Chesterfield, I believe, are 28 points clear at the top of the National League between first and second place. Um, simply down to they just spend and are able to spend so much more than other clubs at that level. Um, with the removal of Notts County and Wrexham last year, again, heavy spenders, Stockport the year before, there aren't that many sort of big spenders left in the National League this year. Uh, and the two most likely to come down into that league are going to be Sutton and uh, Forest Green, who aren't exactly big spenders themselves. So what that means is there'll probably be an awful lot of clubs that can be on comparable budgets to Yeovil. So rather than sitting there thinking, oh, we let's try and avoid relegation, mid-table and the top half, it doesn't seem that unreasonable. Mm. Tony, what do you think? You've you've seen most of Yeovil's home games, I'm assuming. So, um, I mean, how do you see them performing in the National League if we do go up? Uh, I certainly think, like you said, they've got to improve uh, the squad. Um, I think Tom referred to it earlier um, about, you know, when I think we refer back to Gary Johnson's team when he went from the conference into the uh, second division. Well, we were steamrolling teams in that conference and you just knew that squad was going to be capable of going on in the second division to uh, do good things. And they, it certainly showed. Um, looking at the squad we got at the moment, I don't think we're, we're not far away, but he's certainly going to have to add three or four or possibly a few more players to that to meet the standard of the National League. Um so, like I say, the budget's obviously going to increase. Like I just said, uh, roughly around about 20%. He knows, um, mine's not stupid, he knows, obviously, the main aim is to go up this year, the promotion, which I think is more or less is done now. Um, and I think we should start to hopefully build, look at players now, don't leave it to the summer, uh, start looking at players now, thinking who you want to bring in. I'm sure Mark will be looking at that. Well, certainly, I think, you know... I think, sorry, just, yeah, just a on. chip in, Eric. I always think a good way to go um, is to try and get the best players from the league they're in now, get them and bring them up because they're obviously not going to be as expensive and they're probably not going to be on as much money. But if you could get, you know, four or five good 22-year-olds who've got a bit of experience, have been around a little bit, but are sort of the, the rough diamonds in that league... And I'm sure they got their own scouts and they know sort of who those players are. But if you, you could get, you know, look, I don't know, a centre-back, a centre-fielder, a striker, a utility player or something like that, just get one of each of those positions, around 20-odd, um, you know, and obviously hope that they improve a little bit, which they should do. Um, you know, I think that's a, a economical way to go. Arguably, Yeovil are already looking to do that. You, you look what, at the players, that are many of yeah. them that came in over the last sort of six to 12 yeah, months, Obviously, yeah. lots of them have, have had a Taunton tinge to them. You know, Jay Fulston, yeah. Dylan Morgan, Jake Wannell. Um, that's an awful lot of players who were performing well in arguably uh, an overperforming Taunton Townside last year. Now on full-time football, now having full-time training. That's a massive appeal still to to lots of clubs. We don't see we don't see many clubs in the National League South uh, stay professional. E even now, we're, we're talking maybe three or four. Um, Yeovil, of course, being one of them. Worthing being another. Torquay, and I think arguably Eastbourne are technically full-time as well. But really not many more than that. So so it's always a pretty good indicator that the offer and the allure of full-time football will help with that. The issue we usually find uh, at that level is 
when they do get off of the full-time football, it's who's closest to them and uh, geographically. And that's that's always been something that, of course, will let down Yeovil being in, in on its own. And, you know, there's only so many players we can pick off from Tottenham, Bath, etc. Mark Cooper has already um, started to rebuild with uh, next season in mind, hasn't he? Morgan Williams, I think it was January, signed a new deal to 2026. Dylan Morgan, who... Adam's just mentioned signed from Taunton is also signed for two and a half years. And uh, Jordan Young signed an improved, uh, probably to keep suitors away in January, uh, is also signed an improved deal. So uh, Mark Cooper has already got one eye, I think, on um, on the building. He's getting that sort of, you know, mid to early 20s, getting that sort of age, hungry players in. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so hopefully... Uh, yeah, and also, also looking at the players that you know are going to be released coming up, as we say, Bristol City, uh, Bristol Rovers, Exeter, you know, these sort of clubs that might be releasing players, you know, this this coming summer. Absolutely, it's it's important to stress how rare it is to have a player on that length of contract at this level of the at this level of the league. Very rarely do you often see players on any more than a two-year deal at any one point, really. It, it's it's not at all common across the National League and the National League North and South. So the fact that they've got backing, okay, and I believe in some particularly good players on some long-term deals, shows, shows a level of stability and a level of economic backing, which is above average in the National League, really, both from Hellier and Cooper. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting time. Um. Tony, as a supporter, that you know, you, I know you work when you go to uh, Hewish Park. Are you, are you a happy supporter? Um, I'm, always winning, happy. So I'm always happy when they're winning. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, like I say um, they're winning at the moment. The crowds are there. The whole buzz is around the club. Um, obviously, Martin's changed a lot of things up there. Um, I actually went upstairs uh, into the bar area and was surprised how good it was. Uh, so the the feel good uh, atmosphere is definitely there, um, and more or less the job should be virtually done and going up. I think so. Everything's going in the right direction, and it sounds like already they're a building for next year. So uh, me as a supporter and like a fan, and I think everybody else must be pleasantly surprised at the moment and in a happy place. But, but t- talking in terms of money, I mean one's got to remember that. That as I think I'm right in saying, as of the moment, that Martin Hellier hasn't actually done anything other than to rent the ground. Uh, I suspect he's going to want to buy the ground at some point in time, and if he's got to buy the ground and um, come to uh, an arrangement to get more players in, he's going to have to find a fair bit of money, isn't he? Oh, most definitely. I think he knew that. Um, I think, like you say, he's he's obviously put a couple, two or three million in the club at the moment and certainly what he's done in the space of 10 months since he's been in has been uh, remarkable to be fair um, he's, he's put his money where his mouth in he's done everything um, obviously you can't buy everything overnight like I say he's, I think the park i just seen on Twitter about the parking is going to start charging for the parking is that right I've seen yeah, yeah. <coughs> so he's slowly you know he's recouping some money back I think um, upstairs, they said the boxes and some of the stuff up there, merchandise is starting to go up. But uh, um, obviously, he came in and he bankrolled the club for a bit, and obviously, he's trying to recoup some money now. And obviously, they're getting good support. The club's buzzing at the moment, so I think he's entitled to raise some of the prices. And I'd imagine the season tickets, obviously, if they go up as well, would go up this year. Um, 
and the club's in a good place to what it was this time last year, I think. So the message to Martin Heller, if you're listening, Martin, is onwards and upwards. Um, so let's move away from Yeovil now um, and look at the race for the Premier League title. Um, looks like a three-horse race. Um, what do you think, Tom White? Yeah, it's looking that way. It's nice. It's nice that um, Man City were held to a draw yesterday um, for 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 us doing this podcast in terms of timescales. Um, it does make it a bit interesting. Um, obviously, Man City do tend to go on a run around this time of year um, historically. Um, so if you know Liverpool can you know get a few victories in, I know they're playing tomorrow night because um, they got the cup final uh, the weekend. Um, and, you know, it's obviously a winnable game at home to Luton. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and then it's a, it's a good battle for four, fifth and six at the moment, isn't it, as well? With sort of Villa, Tottenham and Man United creeping into it. So, um, yeah, it's looking like an exciting season all in all, to be fair. And even at the bottom of the table, you know, um, apart from Sheffield United, um, you know, maybe Burnley. But, um, yeah, it's, it's looking like a good season. There's plenty of time left. Um, and places are uh, up for... Grabs or if teams go on good runs, um, yeah, they could find themselves in an exciting position for next year. Gavin, what do you think? You're a Liverpool supporter. You must be fairly pleased sitting at the top of the table. Yeah, although it was um, at a cost on Saturday. The impressive win away at Brentford. I had three injuries to um, to players, and then that was sort of countered by Mo Salah coming back from his his own injury and suffered enough combat. Um, yeah, it was um, surprising. City don't often drop points at home. And um, they trailed, didn't they, to a goal by an old boy, Sterling. And um, I know City have got Brentford tomorrow. Um, that They're playing tomorrow. And then, so they play next in the sequence. It's uh, And then Liverpool, like Tom's just said, Liverpool got Luton on uh, Wednesday. But uh, their injuries are creeping up. But um, yeah, it's nice to... I can't remember the last time we had a three-horse race. Sometimes it's two, isn't it? But... Mm. Well, sometimes just one running away with it, but it's it's been a fair few years since we've had a free horse race for the title. So, uh, it's exciting. Um, it's exciting unless I suppose you're in, it's one of your teams and you're. Uh, it's not so uh, much fun then when your team's involved. But um, yeah, I think it will. I think it will go to the wire. Some key games coming out next month. I know Liverpool host City, and then I think it's uh, March as well. Arsenal have to go to the um, to Man City. So. Uh, those, of course, will be two crucial games in the uh, title race. And, of course, there's the Manchester derby coming up fairly shortly as well. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, the way they're going. But having said that, I mean, I wasn't going to discuss this now, but we might as well, we're, we're on it anyway. Um, Luton, I mean, you know, the first 10 minutes was just unbelievable. I thought we were going to score five or six. And then I might have had I might have had a cheeky eighty quid on Ras, Rasmus Hoyland to score first with Betfred, Did double you? delight. Yeah, ten to one. <laughs> well, that's all right. Yeah, exactly. But um, you can't after, do that after anymore. They, after they scored, yeah. um, you know, United sort of. I mean, they weren't playing badly exactly, but they certainly weren't playing to the level that they were in that first ten minutes. And Luton were were you know not bad for a side to. to um, you know, uh, just been well. Uh, it gave it gave Man United the first goal, didn't they? That was yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame to see someone do that on a football pitch. To be fair, because that's not really what you want to be doing at that level or any level, really. But um, you know, and then obviously the second goal was just a bit of instinct from Rasmus. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, like you said, after that, it was it was it was difficult game for sure. It was. It was. It was, certainly wasn't comfortable watching because I was sitting there getting quite annoyed when and I mean I like um, uh, Garnacho. I think he's a great player, but he needs to he needs to improve his composure because I mean he had three chances I think where he was clean through and he mucked them all up and then uh, Bruno mucked one up as well. I mean we should have had four or five in all honesty, but we didn't. Uh, you know, you don't win the league by getting what should have happened, do you? I, I watched the last half an hour, and to be honest, it was very similar to like Yeovil's second half in United. In that, um, Luton had a lot. Luton seemed to have a lot of the ball, and they were sort of camped in United's there. But United did look very dangerous on the break, like said Abe and that, the hmm. that show, and then uh, Bruno dragged one across the penalty box, didn't he? And um, yeah, so uh, they they had um, they had a few opportunities to um, to make it. To make it three and to make it comfortable for the closing stages, but of course they didn't. And like that, the oval game when there's only a goal in there, it was always like yeah, edge of the same stuff for the United fans. It's nerve wracking watching it like that, I can tell you. But uh, there you go, <laughs> can't be up now. One of the reasons I got Professor Davis on today was I got a couple of um, uh, FFP type questions for you. So I thought, well, we might as well take advantage. When isn't it when you've got something? What What do you want to know, Aidy? Um, well, I want to know. There's two things, really. First of all, do you think, from a financial viewpoint, that Jim Radcliffe is going to be good for football in general rather than just Man United? It'll be interesting. Um, technically, he's already done quite a lot of good for football. Um, of course, I think many people sort of rightly or wrongly forget this isn't the first club he's owned. <laughs> Um, no. This is the third club he's had involvement in over the last 10 years. First bought at Lausanne in uh, in Switzerland and is, I believe, still the majority owner of Nice in France. So has still got plenty of, of, of links to football and has done some decent results there. Whether Will his financial backing overhaul Man United? I don't think it's necessarily the finances that will overhaul it because that implies that Man United don't have any money already, which of course they do. Uh, in fact, their accounts came out not that long ago. Um, it is behind City, but it's still very much in the top five or ten richest clubs anywhere in the world, really, and, and still plenty to do with it. And as a result, you've got to be very careful about how you spend it. The, the types of people that uh, that Radcliffe will bring in, he's already brought Dave Brailsford in, uh, talks of the uh, the ex-COO at uh, Manchester City. So he's bringing some right sort of players in, uh, but right sort of staff members is probably a more appropriate term. Um, it'll be an interesting one, really. Whether he'll be... It'll depend on what you class as good for football, I suppose. I mean, from a fan perspective, good for football, we'll see Man United return to the top of the Premier League. Um, others would probably argue that that isn't good for football. Um, but if it's... If he delivers the same level of success that he has done in business and in other sports, the types of people and the types of culture that he seems to have created in his businesses, the idea that others can learn off that um, in their own uh, in their own clubs is probably going to do them some good as well. But unfortunately, the the overwhelming thing we see an issue with, with Ratcliffe, of course, is he doesn't own the club. And that will continue to be an issue that he'll hold. He, you know, he's... He seems to have an awful lot of power for a person who only owns 25% of the club, um, probably because the Glazers see that if they can give him the right level of access, the whole value of the club will increase, which will make them even more money. I know we've talked about this on the podcast in the past. Um, but 
at the end of the day, he won't be the one who controls all the purse strings. So there will probably come a time where he'll go, well, I've done all of this, but I need a little bit more uh, skin in the game to, to really be pushing on even any further. I mean, talking of, of FFP, can you explain to me, I mean, Radcliffe has apparently got a load of money. Quite where he places it, it is open to debate yet, but he's got a load of money. And the implications are that he is going to spend it on United. Now, um, if we've got a man who's got all this money, uh, how does that affect FFP? Well, it'd be a variety of things. Um, FFP, uh, the important thing for this one is to establish you are allowed to spend what the club earns. So where Radcliffe will be most valuable, probably, in, in the way he spends his money, is finding ways to get Man United to earn more money. If you earn more, then you can spend more. We all have a, there's a limit to FFP, which is £105 million spread over three years uh, in terms of losses Man United allowed to make. Um, many of those clubs run very, very close. Some of them run over, namely Everton, Notts Forest. Um, but at the end of the day, somebody has to fit that bill. An important, an important distinction to make is this 105 million that's bounded round by by the media and fans that people go, well, we, we have to spend this amount. Um, 90 million of that has to be made up by the owners. So what that means is it's known as an equity injection. Um, if you don't put any money into the club, your acceptable losses are only 15 million pounds spread over three years. Now, as it's made very, very clear over the last couple of years, um, the Glazers don't put any money in. So as a result, Manchester United have been running with an element of the shackles sort of slightly on in terms of the amount they're allowed to spend compared to other clubs. Uh, that being said, that still doesn't remove the fact Man United spent an awful lot of money and they've spent it very, very poorly. So if Ratcliffe can spend his money on appropriate staff members, both on the field and off the field, uh, continues to put his development into the likes of Old Trafford. There's talks of a new stadium, which I don't think personally will happen, but uh, all of these other ways of spending his money, which are that don't come under the umbrella of FFP, but can affect it in the long run. Um, these will be ways he's probably going to make most uh, most value of his money. The club will get better, and it will be better from a business point of view than just putting all of it on lots of players, which some owners, and to be honest, most of the fans expect you to do. Tom, what do you think about Radcliffe? I've not heard your point because I've not been on all the podcasts. Yeah, to, to be fair, I, I trust trying to find a post then on Facebook. I've seen like, the whole backroom staff that he's uh, assembling. And, you know, it, I mean, they're of names, obviously, aren't they? But the, they've got a guy, he's Ashworth from Newcastle as well. Um, so they're, they are sort of getting a, what looks like a formidable sort of backroom staff in there, which is obviously very, very good mm -hmm. for, hopefully, for the types mm -hmm. of player, players they're going to buy in the future. Um, and how the club's going to be managed off the pitch. Um, so obviously that's pretty crucial with um, you know longevity. So hopefully that bodes well. Um, yeah, we've turned the season a little bit. I mean, we're still, you know, I mean, Kobe Mayno looks like a different class, doesn't he? Um, yeah. So, you know, he, he's frighteningly uh, good. And I think there's a few other young players at the minute that could get a bit of a run out come the end of the season and we'll see what they can produce. Um, but yeah, it, like, like Adam was saying, then, up until then, though, the money money that we've spent hasn't been very good and obviously that's that's hindering us quite significantly. There's obviously a, quite a few players in there as well. I mean, like, you know, with front players like Martial, people like that, obviously we need to get players like that off the books as, as, as best as possible. 
um, uh, whether we can sell them to to Saudi Arabia and cash in a little bit and get away with a bit of daylight robbery, I don't know, or if their players are willing to go there. But um, yeah, it's, it's looking a bit better. I mean, Rasmus is starting to look like the real deal, to be honest. I mean, you know, there's times, you know, I've been quite excited by, you know, when the ball comes up to him, you're almost sort of, you expect him to hold it up and bring people into play a bit now, whereas we haven't had that for a while. Um, and he does look strong and quick. Um, so God hope he stays fit and keeps scoring really. Um, and then obviously it can, that, that gives us a hell of a chance, doesn't it really? You know, we got, we got, we got options in midfield at the minute. I mean, the bench looked a little bit better yesterday than it has done for, you know, some months. Players are coming back from fitness generally. I know Shaw went off again, but, um, yeah, it's, it's starting to look better than it has. Um, and hopefully next season we can make it a four, four horse race. Yeah, and hopefully we can score more than one against Luton, or two rather. Um, Tom, uh, Tony rather, what do you make of it all? Um, I think um, he's a very good appointment. Uh, he's obviously a very shrewd business person. You just look at um, companies he's built up. Um, I think like Adam said earlier, um, it's in the interest of the Glazers that he does well because there's money in their pockets. And I think, like I say, if he builds something big in the next three or four years, he's going to want a bigger percentage because he's not going to just do that on, what's it, he's 25% at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, they trust in him. Um, he's certainly building a good team around him. He's bringing in, like he did in his business, he's bringing in the best of the best, people he can trust. Um, so I think they're definitely going in the right direction. Whether he sticks with Ten Hag will be debatable. There has been rumours that he has um, spoken or been seen to be uh, speaking to other managers. Uh, so that will be interesting. Still, I still don't think United, uh, although they're winning at the moment, they don't they don't still move with confidence. I must admit, um, even against Luton yesterday, they're not a United. I sort of you know grew up with the Fergie and that was it. No, no, exactly. Um, so, for me, I'm still, you know, I'm still, um, it's out for debate on Ten Hag for me. Um, some of the players he bought, like I say, are um, shocking for me. And it will be, time will tell at the end of the season what happens like, if they get into top four Europe, which they've got every chance now. They're pushing there. They weren't before, but I still think, you know, we might see a new manager there. Um it's interesting. I was I was talking to Gary Johnson this afternoon, and I didn't know it, but Dan Am Dan Ashworth is a big pal of Gary's, so maybe we'll see Gary Johnson up there as well. Who knows? Chief scout. Yeah, but apparently, when he, back in the back in the day when Gary was doing soccer schools, Dan Ashworth was his partner and uh, in the business apparently. So, uh, yeah. So you know, he's, he's very thought of highly. Though. I was reading a thing about him today and. Wherever he's been in the football world, and that he's very highly thought of. So, for um, Jim to go and go all out to get him, because yeah. they're quoting ten million now, is it to bring him in? Yeah, I don't think they will a, pay that. But obviously, that's for immediate though, isn't it? For him to, to come in immediately without doing gardening leave and all the rest of it. Yeah, million, he's gone on gardening leave now, so he's obviously yeah. told Newcastle that he wants to go. Obviously. Um, you know, it's like I said, it's, it's one of the biggest clubs in the world, but obviously he sees something there, like he did at Newcastle, that he can get his teeth in to build yeah. something to work with. And um, like I say, um, I can, he's building a, a nice little sort of 
backroom staff around himself, which is, is only going to be good for the club. Well, it's going to be interesting looking at the, the Manchester in general, because um, I, I saw in the paper today, apparently Manchester City Football Group, which is the ones that own, I don't know how many clubs, I'm sure Adam will better enlighten us, but they've lined up a, a, a club in Turkey now to, to join their group. So, you know, quietly they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Whether or not 115 charges is going to bring them down to earth, I don't know. But uh, Adam, I mean, you know, as a group, how does that benefit uh, Manchester City in isolation? Oh, it benefits them in many different ways. It's why so many clubs have multi-club ownerships. It's It wouldn't be... You could argue Manchester United are now part of the multi-club ownership. Um, the way... The, the terminology of it changes all the time. Uh, but basically, as long as you've got a influence in more than one club, it's a multi-club ownership. So technically, Man United are technically in a multi-club ownership with Nice. But we'll see. Anyway, back to your question. Um, the City Football Group is the overwhelming, uh, overarching umbrella company that runs all, I think it's now 13, now going on 14 clubs that Turkey um, with the Turkish one involved as well. Um all of varying levels of control. So City Foot Group own Manchester City outright. They own New York outright. Uh, they own Melbourne outright. And then they've got lots of different clubs where they have varying levels of, of, of control. Um, down as far as sort of 10, 20%. So they've got the club in Brazil, I think. Uh, Palermo in Italy, I think theirs is about 25%. Uh, and, uh, and Girona, the one that's doing very well in Spain at the moment. Um, it kind of it's it works in a variety of ways. The benefit they'll main have is they'll have access to lots of clubs where they can influence. Let's focus mainly on the players. So your recruitment strategy is more effective. You've got more scouts covering more countries in greater levels of depth because you're not only just looking for the very best available to go into the Manchester City first team. You're looking at. Uh, potentially players who you want to develop, go on loan for a few years, who can then potentially go into City afterwards. Uh, Douglas Luiz, who currently plays for Aston Villa. Good example of that. He was on Manchester City's books for five, six years. Never made an appearance, of course, in Manchester City Blue, uh, but was out on loan at Girona for two years. Was good enough. Sold to Villa, is now doing very well. But... Because he was under contract at Manchester City, the people that make the money off that deal, even though they had no influence in his development, are Manchester City. The most famous example of that is, uh, is Aaron Moy, when he played uh, for Melbourne, uh, Melbourne City out in Australia, uh, was doing very, very well for them, but was bought by Manchester City for £10 million. In fact, no, he wasn't. He was bought for free, but was immediately sold to Huddersfield for £10 million. Manchester City had no influence over his development in any way, but the £10 million that was made on his transfer goes into Manchester City's accounts, which, of course, all affects their FFP charges. So this is the main sort of fear over multi-club ownerships is the accountancy, the creative accountancy that could be taken in there. The flip side of that, of course, is yes, you've got increased revenues, but you've also got massively increased costs. There's no way of guaranteeing that every club will 
will be a success. You know, some of them they've used more than others. They've used New York, very, very little amount, but are still under the same group and they keep the influence there. They've used Girona a lot in, in Spain. They've used quite a lot of Troyes in France. Um, and and we'll see how it develops. But uh, yeah, plenty of benefits to multi-club ownerships. It's why we see so many clubs have influences up and down the Premier League now off, off the back of them. Well, while we're abroad, let's switch to Bayern Munich. Suddenly, something's gone rapidly wrong there. Anybody got any ideas as to what's happening? I thought it was all, all sweetness and light with Harry Kane scoring goals for, for fun over there, but suddenly it's gone a bit wrong. I think the main thing is Bayern Leverkusen's form, isn't it? Um, you know, they haven't lost all season. Hmm. So, um, I think that's, that's the biggest thing is obviously, new, I say nobody, but it's rare that a team outperform Bayern. Whereas, obviously, if Bayern are not, you know, obviously they're not quite performing at their top, top level. Um, but I dare say the performance that they've put in would probably win them a league some other seasons. Um, so I think that's the main thing. But, yeah, that was obviously a pretty of a poor result. I think they were 3-1 down to Bochum, weren't they? I don't mm. know what the final score was. Yeah. Um, and they had a one sent off uh, after going one up. So, yeah, it's um, poor old Harry. Um, but maybe that will... Uh, push him to, to come back somewhere into the Premier League next year. Well, I read somewhere that he wasn't happy over there all of a sudden. So, uh, yeah, could could be. Interesting point. Tony, do you, I mean, are you surprised to see Bayern struggling to that degree? Uh, not at all, really. Um, I think last the last three or four years, um, all right, they've won the German League, but it hasn't been a strong German League. Um, I think, like I said, they put all, everything, 100 million, was it, into buying Kane? Um, they haven't brought many other players. Um, no disrespect to Dyer, but they brought him in recently, um, and he was struggling to get in Tottenham side. So they've got problems at the back. They're conceding goals at the moment, aren't they? Where I think beginning of the season they wasn't. Because uh, I think Kane scored again yesterday. I think penalty in ninety fourth yes, minute. Yeah. But um, is it? They've certainly. Um, is it? Was it? Who say it was top Stuttgart? By Leverkusen. By Leverkusen. By Leverkusen. Um, yeah, they're sort of like um, the players. They played them last week and uh, apparently steamrolled it by a little bit. Um, so it's the first time they've been really up against um, a team who's really challenged them this year. And he's, uh, I think they're five points behind now, eight points behind. You say? Um, eight, is it now? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're going to find it hard and obviously... They're 1-0 down in the Champions League to Lazio as well, so they've got to turn that around, which I think they will. But they're certainly not looking the force they used to be. And to say he's gone there to win stuff, he could end up with nothing this year. Well, do you think it's Thomas Tuchel is the weak, weak link there? I mean, he doesn't... You know, he's he's had some big clubs, PSG, Chelsea, but I don't know. He's, he seems to get him, doesn't he? Yeah, they, they seem to all want him. So he, you know, he leaves Chelsea. He's gone straight into PSG, uh, Tottenham. Like you say, he's always gone straight into another club. Um, I've seen today that saying they're backing him. They, they're not going to sack him. Um, his job's not under threat or anything. Um, like I say, he could be a small bleep. Like you say, they've only lost uh, three or four in the last month or so. So it could be a small bleep. Um, he's got some injuries there as well, which is not helping. Uh, they go and beat Lazio next small week. Small bleep or small blip? <laughs> blip. Both of them. <laughs> I love it when people use the wrong word out. But did you bleep? Yeah, did you bleep that one out? Blip. 
<laughs> I, th I think uh, if Thomas Tuchel gets the sack, um, Anthony Anthony Barry ain't going to be very impressed. That's for certain because he's he gave up Chelsea to go over there to be with him. And of course, you know you played with Anthony, didn't you, Tom? Yeah, no, no, he was just after me. Was yeah, he? Yeah, he was just after me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember him. I don't know him, but yeah, I yeah, oh, he's a good lad. I, I, I've always kept in touch with him. Yeah. He's, he's a nice chap. What's he on the backroom staff at Bayern? Is he? Yeah, yeah, he went with Tuchel. Yeah, he was with him at Chelsea as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew he was at Chelsea. I didn't realize he took him as well. So he must think highly of him. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, That's right. I think. It, well, I, I say he won't be very impressed. Impressed, but I'm sure if he was to. To get the bullet from there, I'm sure he'd pick up a job fairly easily. You have another sort of CV that he's got at the moment. Sure, he won't, sure he won't go empty-handed. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't. Um, but whilst we're abroad, what about Mbappe to Real Madrid? I see it says he's signed his contract now. Um, do we believe that? Is that the case? Do you think, um, Adam? Oh, this will go on for absolutely months and months and months, as it already has done. It's it seems like he's just been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. So I, I think he'll be, yes, I do think it'll be Madrid uh, because Madrid will find a way of spending the silly amount of money to, to afford him. Uh, PSG will not let him go quietly or lightly. He is still under contract till 2025. So it'll be an interesting one to, to see how that one goes. What we aren't entirely sure is what his contract situation looks like. Although it says he's there till 25, some media reports claim that it's actually to 24 and then Mbappe can decide to put another year on. Some have decided it's PSG that have decided they can put another year on. It's all very messy at the moment. Um, and at some point, we'll have to focus on him playing as a footballer, but it doesn't seem to be his number one priority most of the time. It's going to make Real Madrid pretty strong, though, if he does go there. It certainly does. I mean, it, it's it's quite dangerous how they would look. Anyone with Jude Bellingham becomes more dangerous, and Mbappe's got two World Cup, well, World Cup off the back of being equally dangerous. So, um, yeah, it's not really much of a story, is it? Really, when you go Real Madrid are going to continue to be really, really good. Uh, it's, it's unsurprising, really. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. What, what about? Um, did I read just? Sorry, uh, oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, the Luton game, Man U game yesterday said about Rashford, PSG's uh, is PSG's number one target is Rashford. Uh, Mbappe goes. Yeah, they, I think they've yeah. come out and said. I don't know how true this is, but they they want to know from Rashford whether it's worth pursuing or not. Is he interested? If he's not, they're basically saying if you're not interested, just saying we won't waste our time. But they are keen. Right. If he's keen, is my understanding. Did, talking of Rashford, did you yeah, see did. the incident where he, they're giving him a lot of stick on the uh, socials at the moment because he apparently just sort of eased out the way for um, Ross Barkley to go past him? Uh, yeah, I've seen yeah, that. He does that sort of thing all the time now. Honestly, he's, he, he bottled out of a 70-30 in his favour challenge, shoulder barge, aerial challenge, and it really winds me up, which is why Rasmus Hoyland is such a breath of fresh air because he's the absolute opposite you can see the determination and his desire to win is is what you have to have as a footballer and Rashford doesn't have it and that's, that's sad because he is a gifted player but I, I you know I beat that drum a lot but it just winds me up to see it yeah. um, what about Arsenal I mean two go two away games five goals in each game there well should I, should I tell you what they've been singing in their last couple of games go on then who put the ball in the West Ham net? Who put the ball in the West Ham net? Who put the ball in the West Ham net? 
after bleeping team did. And then they sell it again against Burnley. <laughs> um, anybody wishing to contact Tom White, reference a singing contract, please contract yeah, Three right. Valleys Radio and we'll put you in yeah, touch. But uh, No, but they're doing well, aren't they, at the moment, Arsenal? Which annoys me because yeah, I don't insane. like Arteta. He annoys me somehow. But uh, fair dues. I mean, his team's playing well. Yeah, they put teams away, but, you know, West Ham are struggling and are since Christmas, aren't they? And uh, David Moyes and um, Burnley are, um, I think them and Sheffield United are guaranteed to fill the bottom two places in the league. So, um, although they they have had impressive results, it hasn't been against, um, hasn't been against uh, teams near the top, has it? Well, no, it's true, it hasn't, but... Uh... They beat Liverpool as well, though, didn't they, recently, 2-1. So. Well, we'll see how they get on at Old Trafford when they come, because hopefully by then we should be really on a roll. But uh, Now, I was going to keep to the end. We've only got eight minutes left, but we'll just try and flick through some of the um, the Saturday and Sunday results. One in particular caught my eye, Sheffield United nil, Brighton 5. Uh, that, what did you make of that uh, that tackle, Tony? Oh, I'd, I'd seen his interview uh, afterwards. And he's saying that he thought he won the ball. Yeah. Uh, he might have won the ball, but it's in the follow-through, isn't it? It looks mm. terrible, I think, on the telly. Well, it was halfway up his thigh, wasn't it? That's why I say he's catching him. And, and it, it, it's like an old-fashioned defending tackle going right through him. But I think the follow-through is he's gone completely right through there. And I think it was it was the referee was right. Uh, well, it, to be fair, he, first of all, the yellow card, wasn't it, he gave him? And it was VAR intervened, was it? Yeah, I think yeah. it was, yeah. Give me yellow. I was correct. VAR intervened to go and have a look at it. I think as soon as he took a look at it. Uh, it doesn't help with um, Sky showing its slow motions and that, obviously. You know, the old days, this wouldn't have happened. You know, it would have been a yellow and nothing more would have been said. But obviously, VAR now is interfering with it. Um, they're slowing it all down, having about five or six runs. And the more you see it slowed down, the worse it looks, to be fair. So... I, I don't think he could have any qualms about that. And it, what was it in the 12th, 15th minute or something like that? Uh, very early on. And Sheffield United, that's the last thing they want to go down the 10 men, uh, especially against a team like Brighton, who's, um, they've certainly got a way of killing teams off, uh, some of their football they're playing. So, um, unfortunately, I think Sheffield United and Burnley are more or less down for me. Um, then it could be one from about four or five teams. Mm. Spurs one, Wolves two. Um, bit of a turn up that one. I know it's Spurs. Um, um, Gavin, what did you think of that one? Yeah, Wolves. I've been really impressed with uh, O'Neill since he's gone to Wolves. They've um, he's really sort of um, they're pretty, very good away from home. They've had some good away wins in recent weeks, and um, that was certainly another one on Saturday. And after even after Spurs at half time, you know, got a rollicking from Big Ange, and they scored, didn't they? A minute into the second half, you thought, or oh, maybe Spurs would turn it around. But um, uh, Wolves went again, and that was a that was a good win. And um, yeah, I think Spurs are like, as they say, Spurs have been starting to be Spursy again. Whereas uh, they looked pretty good for the uh, top four earlier in the season. They just a bit like Villa, they dropped off a little bit. So, like the lad said earlier, it's going to be like a it's going to be a tight battle as well as for the for the title, the top three, I think uh, Villa, Spurs and United are going to be in a in a battle royal for the um, for the last Champions League place and the uh, Europa League places. 
out of those three, who do you see as being the the most susceptible to drop out of the mix? Well, the top three or the, no, the, the three th going for four? The three to underneath. I think I I probably think I probably think Villa because they haven't been because they haven't been there for so long and they're not they're sort of not used to it. So uh, I would probably say Villa. Yeah, uh, you don't think Spurs then? Because you know, you said yourself you think they're going a bit Spursy all of a sudden. Yeah, well, to be honest, none of them are in. I suppose United are in the best form of recent times of the three of them. So you would say probably United are in pole position at present, even though there's a little gap to Villa, isn't there? I think it's is it four or five points. Uh, I'm not sure without uh, looking at the table, but uh, five, five points, five points to Villa. Yeah, so that's a little gap to make up, but you don't, you don't know. I suppose that's why they're fourth, fifth, and sixth at the moment, rather than first, second, and third, because they have been a little more inconsistent than the current top three. So, um, you know, maybe it change again, or maybe someone to come from the pack. Mm. Well, Brighton are in quite good form. What, what, what do you think, uh, Adam? Do you see? Do you see? Villa or Spurs dropping out of it? I have more confidence, I think, in Tottenham than I do in Villa. Um, my argument is probably the squad depth is the thing that will let down all three of them. It's, it's all three of them don't really have much coming off the bench. Scott McTominay aside, arguably, for Manchester United. Um, it will be, it'll be a tightly fought one. I've got a lot of confidence in Brighton day-to-day, -day, but... With you, with Europe still there again, have always been quite a small squad. Pretty hard to guess, but um, it will be tight. And as a result, I think we'll see a huge gap eventually between third and fourth. Um, I think, regardless, and arguably maybe one or two points split between fourth, fifth, and sixth. Tom, what do you think? Uh... Well, I think Villa are more consistent than Tottenham. Uh, I think Tottenham, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, more so than Villa. I watch Villa a lot because my missus is a Villa fan, so I watch Villa religiously. Um, so I watch every game of theirs, and I think they they're they're a very well organised side. So they they contrary to what Adam said, I think their bench is quite strong. Um, they've got a few injuries at the moment. Uh, in fairness, I think they got four players out of ACLs, but um, in in the whole squad. But um, yeah, I, I I think they look good, Villa. I really do. I think they. The, the, they're they're good against most of the teams. They don't underperform against the lower league low teams near the bottom of the league, which I think Tottenham have a tendency to possibly do. Um, you know, like getting beat at home to Wolves. You know, I, I, I don't think Villa would put that type of performance in. So, yeah, I think it'll be tight because again, Man United are far from reliable, and when they go certainly away to the top teams, they they don't get anywhere. Um, but if I had to pick now I, I've honestly I'd probably go Villa fourth May United fifth and Tottenham sixth of course United could sneak into the Europe couldn't they Adam because it's something to do with the other two teams doing well in it a fifth place might might be available yes yeah there's a lot of discussion around that at the moment uh, it's all to do with the wonders of the UEFA coefficient and um, the fifth place will be potentially very very uh, lucrative for whoever ends up there basically the way it looks 
is based on the strength of each league, then maybe an opportunity for a fifth Champions League spot. Uh, at the moment, it looks most likely one to Spain, one to England. So, uh, But we don't know that for certain. That's always subject to whoever wins the Europa League, whoever wins the Conference League. I thought, so, I thought Germany were in with a squeak on that. The thing that usually gets them down is... It's how they the perform in Europe, isn't it? It is. It is. So it's yeah. not necessarily the strength of the league overall, but the fact that um, of the last, goodness knows how many finalists, most of them have come from, from Spain and from England over the last couple yeah. of years. We have had, of course, we have had PSG and and uh, and Bayern Munich in the final in the last couple of years. But the problem is the fact that they're very much one-horse teams, uh, one-horse leagues. As a result, OK, yeah, at the latter stages of the Champions League, you get... Bayern, you get PSG, but you don't get a second French club and you don't really get a, a second German club really in the last couple of years. Whereas over the last couple of years, you can expect Real Madrid, arguably Atletico more than you see Barcelona over the last couple of years, but Barcelona is still in there. Sociedad, of course, is still Sevilla there. Sevilla's done well in the Europa League. Villarreal. Absolutely, Sevilla. Obviously, you never look past them in the Europa League either. So, so yeah, it's it'll be an interesting one, but that changes year on year. But um, what we can be pretty confident on is that, that there will be a fifth English Champions League uh, spot. Good. Well, that's not good good end, uh, way to end the show. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us again today. Uh, Tom White, thanks a lot, old dog. I appreciate you. Cheers, fellas. Have a good week and enjoy your week, listeners. And, and hang on a minute at the end, Tom. I want to speak to you about something. Adam, thank you very much for joining us again. Pleasure as always. Thank you very much. And your... Uh, amazing depth of knowledge it's always very useful and uh, of course needless to say mr pounder thanks a lot tone what about my depth of knowledge then well that's crap isn't it sheep <laughs> pop poop i can do them all well, no, it's been I, a pleasure and very enjoyable as usual we'll uh, blip it out tone uh, unfortunately tone you haven't got the singing <laughs> voice to guarantee your place in in the podcast in the future because now that we know tom has got this this amazing talent, we need to uh, perhaps milk it a bit more. I can't believe Tom didn't pick you up on Thomas. Who's Satchel? Who's Thomas <laughs> Satchel, you kept saying? I was waiting for him to pick you up on that. Tuchel, I said. <laughs> I didn't hear it. <laughs> Satchel. Well, perhaps it's because I've been watching Trial and Re Retribution too much. And there's a bloke in there called Satchel. I don't know. It might be that. But anyway, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, please join us again soon. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. And, of course, I've nearly forgot Gavin Cheatham for helping out as well. Thank you, Gavin, for coming on the show. And to everybody Thanks, else, Andy. all I can say is football bloody hell.